Welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, your host and CEO of Bregman Partners. This podcast is part of my mission to help you get massive traction on the things that matter most. We are fortunate enough to have with us today Marshall Goldsmith. I am fortunate enough to be able to call him my friend. Uh, Marshall is an executive coach and business educator. His mission is to help successful leaders achieve positive, lasting change in behavior for themselves, their people, and their teams. He's written, I think the count right now is a million books. Um, the, the book that he has been uh, on the podcast for previously was Triggers. Uh, the book we're here to talk about is Life Storming, Creating Meaning and Achievement in Your Career and Life. The way we're going to do this podcast is a little different than, than others. We're not just talking about the ideas in the book, but when, you, when I read this subtitle and I read the book, Creating Meaning and Achievement in Your Career and Life, Marshall is such a prime example of having done that and, and doing that in his life. I am uh, fortunate enough myself to be part of the MG100 group. It's a group of people that Marshall has, uh, has chosen to share his, his wisdom, experience, his practices in, in the same vein. And he may talk about this a little bit on the podcast as, as other people he has admired have done, the Buddha, for example, where you just give what you know away for free. And he's, he's um, offered to do that for a number of us. And I'm, I'm both grateful and enriched by being a part of that, a really amazing group of people. And it's another way of sort of creating meaning and achievement in his career and in his life. So, Without further ado, Marshall, welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me, and thank you for being one of our uh, 100 coaches. It's my great pleasure, believe me. And I've already learned a tremendous I mean, I've spent a couple of days with you in Phoenix, and I've already learned uh, uh, so much. And one of the things I've learned, I'll say, is, and I think it's a great gift that you bring, and, and some of your friends who you include in this, Alan Mullaly, who is the CEO of Ford, and uh, Dr. Jim Kim, who's the president of the World Bank, is all these people who are doing incredibly complex work in a very complex world. And the mantra that I left with is it's not that complicated. Like when you bring it down to what's important, what's essential to following what's most important to you and making an impact in the world that you want to make, you reduce it to what matters most. And in the end, it's not that complicated uh, if you're able to do that. That's right. Yeah. So, so thank you. All right, now I'm going to stop talking and you're going to do the talking. Here's what I want to do with this podcast, which again is different than we've done in the past, which is there's a bunch of chapters in this book that lead us through a path. By the way, Alan Weiss uh, was a co-author of this book with Marshall Goldsmith. And, and there's a, a bunch of steps to this path of creating meaning and achievement in your career and life. I think you're an amazing example of having done that and doing that in your life. So what I want to do is go through each chapter and have you share with us a little bit your experience with it and maybe a story or two of how you've done this in your life because I think that's going to be – everyone's going to get to know you a little bit better and it's going to be uh, interesting for the podcast. Also, it takes it out of more of the theory realm and puts it into the real world. Perfect. That's exactly right. So the first, the first chapter, and, and it's pretty self-explanatory when you just read this title, is setting our own aspirations. And this idea that um, we could become programmed in all sorts of ways 
to acting in ways we've always acted in the past or we've been taught to act in the past, but there's ways of shifting that kind of programming so that we can really pursue aspirations that have deep meaning to us. And I'm, again, curious how you've done that in your life. Well, you know, I was brought up to believe that uh, I was brought up in a small town called Valley Station, Kentucky, low income, low education environment. Uh, Middle school down the street last year came in last place in academic achievement in Kentucky. We had an outhouse the first four years I was in school. So I was not brought up in Harvard prep. So the odds on me being ranked number one leadership thinker in the world and three New York Times bestsellers from there would be like snowballs chance in hell. I was given a lot of positive programs. Um, And one of them was you were smart. I was told over and over how smart I was and that you're gonna go to college and I was also told, because my dad had a gas station, had no mechanical skills. I would never have any mechanical skills the rest of my life. So people are brought up to believe they're the smart one, the pretty one, the clever one, the lazy one, the whatever one, right? I was in a hospital, and I asked people, how many of you were brought up to believe that you were the responsible one? Everyone in the room raised their hand. Then we talked about the blessings of that and then the curses. And three people start crying. They said, you know, I get sick of being responsible. I'm responsible for my children, my parents, my siblings. I'm tired of being responsible all the time. Well, the thing I've learned is we don't have to carry this programming around forever. And most of us just go through life living this stuff out over and over again. You met Dr. Jim Kim. He was programmed to believe he was a smart one. He's a simultaneous MD and PhD with the hunters from Harvard in anthropology. You know, first time I interviewed him, I think I told you this story. He was very funny. Uh, After an hour, I said, you know, Jim, in the last hour or six times, you told me how smart you were. And he was so embarrassed. He said, you know, what an ass. I said, you're not an ass. You're a great guy. Well, it's very important, though, to realize we don't have to live out these programs forever. I was also brought up to believe that, you know, I was smart, but I didn't have to work hard. Hmm. And it took me a while to realize I don't have to be ashamed of working hard. It's okay to work hard. It's okay to love people. You don't have to be ashamed of that. And when you're brought up to believe you're a certain way, like Bono, the great singer, he's a humanitarian. And he kind of created this new identity. He didn't used to be a humanitarian. And when he tried to change, people all crapped on him. He said, you're not a humanitarian. You're a rock star. Finally, he said, you know, heck with this. I want to help starving people. I don't have to apologize. Well, we can all be a different person without living out this program over and over. And what I challenge people is think the way you've been programmed to believe you are. Maybe there are a couple of modest changes you can make in this programming to be somebody different in the future without being a hypocrite or a phony. How do you do that? So how do you practically, if I've been programmed to believe that I was not the smart one or I'm programmed to believe, that, how, how, do you, how do you shift that program? What are some small things people can do to shift that kind of programming so that they're not stuck in that place? Well, again, I have a degree in math. I think the first thing you can do is recognize there's often not much logic to this. See, I was programmed to believe I had no mechanical skills. Well, I'm not until I'm 26 that I question this. I'm taking a class at UCLA, and uh, what do you do well? What can't you do? I said, I have no mechanical skills. So the teacher says, well, how do you know? I said, well, I took a test, the United States Army Aptitude Test. I scored the bottom 2% of the United States. It's hopeless. He said, how are your mathematical skills? Perfect score on the SAT Math Achievement Test. He said, why is it you can solve complex mathematical problems, but you cannot solve simple mechanical problems? Good point. So how's your hand-to-eye coordination? I said, I play pinball games, shoot pool, drink beer. He said, why can you play a pinball game and shoot pool, but you can't hammer nails? I realized there's no logic behind this. 
I was just programmed randomly to believe this, right? I lived this out of my life and it became true. And as long as we tell ourselves this, it never changed. I coach people every week on I deal with this. They'll say things like, I can't listen. I can't listen. I've never listened. I can't listen. I look at the guy's ear. Why not? You guys, I'm stuck in there. Well, why can't you listen? And then they realize, yeah, why can't I listen? And this is just some programming that I can't do this. It just repeated over and over and over again. And just understanding the process can help you get out of the loop. Yeah, it's interesting. And taking small, small steps in seeing how you can change it. In, in, uh, I, I was in a leadership program last week and there were 25 people in the room and I have this programming. It's a silly little thing, but I have a programming. I'm terrible at remembering people's names. It's so easy right. for me to say that actually because I'm so used to thinking it and saying it, right? I'm terrible at remembering people's names. And so we sat around in the introductions and I thought, I'm going to change that. I'm actually going to really pay attention to each person. Right. And in the end, I'm going to go around and see if I know everyone's names. And within 10 minutes, I had everybody's names. And yeah. it's the, so like these little small experiments that can disprove. You know, yeah. one I other like thing that. that this made me think of is Daniel Levitin. I don't know if you know him, but he, one of, of the books. Yeah. So he wrote Weaponized Lies is the. No, I don't know. I know a different Daniel Levitin. Uh, Daniel Levitin. Okay. So he wrote Weaponized Lies. Uh, and yeah. he, he's written a couple of really great books. But one of the things he's talking about is how people use statistics and, and, and the ways in which we can be fooled by numbers. We, the we could fool. And, and one of his tests is um, if someone's telling you something, is it plausible? So, he, for example, he talks about going into a taxi cab and having the taxi driver say to him, you know, 20 billion people in the world don't have Internet. Well, you look right. at that and you go, huh, there's only 7 billion people in the world. That's probably right. not plausible. Now, he says, you know, the point the guy's trying to make may be right, which is a lot of people don't have Internet. But, but one question to ask about, for example, you don't have mechanical skill is, is that plausible? I'm actually a pretty smart guy. Like, is it plausible right. that I wouldn't have mechanical skill? Right. I love that. That's excellent. I love that. The second chapter, the importance of new friends. You know, one of the things that you talk about in this chapter is how um, relationships can hold us back, right? And how right. the, the you know, as we change, that might, you know, some of our friends can grow with us, but, but that also might suggest that some of our friends, you know, we need to build new friends. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that in your life? Yeah, I'm going to start about the, the negative and the positive. The negative extreme example would be a drug addict. They go to rehab, they kick the habit, they go back to the same neighborhood with the same friends, almost always, boom, what happens? They're a drug addict again. They really need to change their neighborhood, their friends, their environment. And the other good and bad news about the new world is we keep up with everybody. All the people you've ever known in your life are on Facebook. They keep up with you. Now you've got this laundry list of people and you wonder, really, how important is it for me to know where my high school friend had breakfast last week? Is that really a very important issue in my life? So it's very, very healthy, I think, number one, to discard some of these relationships by saying, you know, there's nothing against these people. There's only so many hours in a day. And then back to the idea of new friends, or, and I'd like our, our project that I'm working on with you. I think it's wonderful. I'm here in Utah. I'm working with uh, Sun Yin Shung, and she is a great person. We're doing a coaching project together. I didn't know her at all. She's one of the hundred coaches in our project. So I've got to meet a lot of new people that I wouldn't have necessarily met before. I, I didn't know you that well before. And so it's been wonderful for me to meet new people and really kind of expand my horizons and way of thinking. So if you want to grow, again, if you repeat the same experience over and over again, you're not going to grow very much. 
sometimes you need to say, what do I need to do different and new? And also, what are some new people I need to meet? So, so let me, let's explore that a tiny bit too. So let's say, you know, I'm, I'm interested in doing more CEO coaching and I have, you know, a group of, um, uh, you know, a group of clients who are at a certain level of CEO coaching, but I want to get to the next level. How do I right. bridge that gap? How do I shift from the, you know, from the current group of people that I'm working with to the next level? How do I get in with that crowd? Well, the one thing I do is I don't work with people over typically a year and a half anyway. So I'm not big in long-term what I call dependency relationships. So I work with people a year, year and a half. Then I keep in touch with them after that, but I'm not their official coach. And I think what you try, what I've done, and I think it would be healthy to do for everybody, is you try to just leverage up. And so you work at this level, you become a success, you gradually move up to the next level, the next level, the next level. And then after a while, you learn how to say no. You say no to people who are at, not at the level you want to coach. It's not that they're bad people. It's just you're not going to have as much impact on the world coaching uh, second-line supervisors or the CEO of Ford. It's just a different level of impact. Right, right. And how do you leverage that up? Meaning you're not working with them anymore, so so they're free. Let me give you a couple of ideas. Let me give you a couple of ideas uh, for people interested in coaching. One is do volunteer work. Because when you do volunteer work, number one, you're working at very high-end people who typically appreciate the fact you're a volunteer and you're helping them. You're not charging any money, but you're building some very positive relationships. Number two, their boards are composed of very, very high-end people typically. And that's a great way to meet people. And they say, well, gee, this coaching is working for Jim over there. Maybe I should try it myself. And you get to meet very, very high-end people. You're doing good for the world and meeting high-end people and leveraging up at the same time. Right. It's great. It's a great idea. You know who uh, and and uh, Jim Wolfenson, who was president of the World Bank, uh, uh, you know, a few uh, rounds ago, um, when I was first starting my company twenty years ago, gave me that same advice. He said, yeah. "Join a bunch of boards, get in contact with these people on the boards, because then they see the work that you do." And and yeah. so it's it's like it's almost like the transition people or people who can link from one to the other. It's beautiful. So this is this next chapter called behavioral metamorphosis is is you know so soundly in your ballywick and I want to combine it with this chapter called believe it or not which is breaking through the belief vault. We've talked a little bit about both. This idea of, you know, if you're going to, you know, you have new aspirations, you've created a little bit of a new community and now, you know, you have to break some old habits. You have to do things right. differently than you've done them before and along with new habits you have to change some beliefs, and and that's gonna that's gonna help you. So I'm curious to to hear again your experience around both of those in your life. Well, and in my job as a coach, I see this every day. My mission is to help successful leaders achieve positive long-term change in their behavior. My clients are very very successful people. One thing I'm proud of is my book triggers 27 major CEOs endorse the book. Well, 30 years ago, no CEO would admit to having a coach. They'd have been ashamed or embarrassed to have a coach. Well, I've really worked hard to change that. And I think what's important is to realize you do need to look at what I call the superstition trap. And the more successful we become, the more we fall into this. What's that? I behave this way. I'm successful. Therefore, I must be successful because I behave this way. Very important to say, no, I behave this way. I'm successful. I'm successful because I do many things right in spite of doing things wrong. I behave this way. I'm successful at this level. If I want to get to the next level, this behavior won't work. It won't work. Let me give you my own life example. The best coaching I didn't ever listen to is I met a gentleman named Dr. Paul Hersey, who was the most famous guy in our field. 
he was kind enough to let me follow him around. He got double booked. He said, can you do what I do? I said, I don't know, maybe. He said, I need help. Can you do it? I said, I don't know. He said, I'll pay a thousand bucks for a day. I was 28 years old. That was 40 years ago. I was making 15,000 bucks for a year. You know what I said? Sign me up, coach. I did this program, was very successful. And then he called me in about two years later and said, you're making too much money. You're too good at what you're doing. Uh, there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, making money. Your clients are happy, but you're just going to run around like a hamster with your you know, head cut off, just spinning this wheel. You're not writing. You're not thinking. You're not developing your brand. All you're doing is just the same thing over and over. He was right. For 10 years, I lived that out. If I had to live my life over, I'd live the 10 years differently. Well, back to your point, that behavior, which was positive behavior, it got me to where I was going to do, really was holding me back. The other thing I learned from that is, especially if you're comfortable, comfort is a real enemy of change. It's very, very hard to change when we get too comfortable. And so that's, you know, it's just part of a part of life. So, Marshall, what age were you when you learned that lesson after the 10 years of having kind of done the same thing over and over again, very successfully, but not changing? Yeah, I was probably the ages of 30 to 40 years old. And at about 40, I met Francis Hesselbein. I met Peter Drucker. I was really encouraged to do more writing, building a more positive long-term brand, upscaling what I was doing. And then that changed my life. Uh, and if I had to live my life over, I would have lived the 10 years a little differently. And so what changed, how did, what did you change? So now we're talking, first of all, you've already talked about new friends and Hesselbaum and, and, and yeah. that you've sort of created some new friends and some new beliefs and recognizing that, you know, and I'll, I'll quote someone who wrote an amazing book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Um, right. Which, when did you write that? Uh, that was, uh, that was about 2007 it came out. It started writing about 2006, right? Right. And so if you, if as people listening, if you haven't read that book, it's really one of my favorites uh, of all time, but I think it's a really excellent book. Uh, and, and so you've, and so you're beginning to shift some of your beliefs that this won't get you to where you want to go. Um, what, what did you change in your life that brought you closer to where you want to go? You know, you're running around like a hamster, not writing. What shifted? Yeah. And another fellow that helped me was my good friend, Rick Cully. I was working for the New York Stock Exchange. He worked for them, and I did this program, and I got evaluated a 4.8 out of 5. So I talked to Rick, and I said, Rick, you know, this is great. How can I do better? You know what Rick said? You're asking the wrong question. He said, you can kill yourself. You might be rated 4.85 out of 5. You're fixing the wrong problem. He said, you need to be writing. You need to be thinking. You need to be developing your brand. You're working on the wrong thing. And really, that was a great learning for me that I was wrong, I was working on the wrong thing. Nothing wrong with what I was doing. I was just doing the same thing over and over again. And the marginal improvement was like this. Uh, so it was really important to get that little jolt of, you know, quit wasting time on what doesn't matter and really focus on stuff that's much bigger payoff. And that's when you started writing and coming up with new ideas and exactly right. Right. So, um, so the next chapter, so now we've sort of set our new aspirations. We've, um, kind of thought about who our friends are and how to create a community around us. We've got a behavioral metamorphosis and, and shifted and looked at our beliefs. Now we're at this piece, which is the importance and evolution of character, right? The importance of who you are and how you show up. And, and it's not just what you do, but it's the principles that you live by. And, and, um, 
And, and, and I, I'm actually going to combine that with a chapter called Critical Abandonment, where you're choosing what to let go of. Because I think those two things right. work together a little bit. Like, what are your principles? Right. And based on those principles, what are you going to stop doing? What are you going to let go of? Again, a right. little bit of a story of your life. Well, I mean, I think um, one thing in my book, Triggers, that I found very helpful in my life, if listeners don't learn anything else today but this one lesson, it's been a very good podcast. That's before you speak, ask yourself, am I willing at this time to make the effort required to make a positive difference on this topic? If the answer is yes, go for it. If the answer is no, let it go. Peter Drucker taught me this. Our mission is to make a positive difference, not to prove how smart we are. And we get so wrapped up in nonsense that we just really are not making functional use of our lives. This happens to people constantly. So I think really important, one thing I try to focus on is I do this daily question process. So every day someone asks me questions about my life. And I, they're all yes, no, or number of questions. If anyone would like to hear all my questions, send me an email. But, you know, one of them is uh, how many minutes did I spend on things that really are not that important? And how much of my life was spent on doing stuff that didn't matter that much? And things I'm not going to change. Maybe they're important, but I'm not going to do anything about them. And just really focusing on, is this going to make a difference? And one thing I focused on with my 100 Coaches Project is, again, number one, new relationships, lots of new relationships. And then number two, really looking at life in a different way. That was kind of a creative idea. It got nominated one of the top, uh, top eight creative ideas by Thinkers 50 this year. And looking at life in a different way, I asked myself, if I could work with anybody I wanted to, and money was not an object, who would I work with? And then I thought, I don't need the money anyway. Why don't I just work with them? So that's kind of inspiration of the idea, right? And, and you get to work with much better people, not better, but much more upscale people, much more interesting people in a way. And it's just a different way of thinking. Back to your point, it's a different mindset where you're saying, what if money didn't matter? What would I do? Well, you know, I'm old anyway, but I have plenty of money. And so just do what, do what you want to do. And it's been very freeing. So in the book, there's this conversation around uh, shifting from a poverty mentality to an abundance mentality, that when you have enough money, and you're demonstrating that right now, when you have enough money, when you have enough security, when you right. – and, and, but I know people who are incredibly wealthy and who still right. have this poverty mentality, right, who still – it's still not enough. And it's not, a, it's not not enough because they're greedy, Right, that's not the issue. It's not enough because they're afraid, because they want more security, because they, how do you what do you have advice for people to help shift that mentality from a poverty mentality to an abundance mentality? Yeah, and I think a lot of it is just be willing to take maybe in the beginning a small risk. Some risk where you say, Well, okay, this might not work. And and the other thing is trust people. You know, maybe somebody will take advantage of you. Okay, so who cares? Get taken advantage of. It's not the end of the world. I mean, very few people cheated me in my whole life. You know, everybody's nice. And, you know, almost nobody's ever lied to me about anything. I think most people are just fine. And, and again, once you get out of that uh, scarcity mentality, and also don't make everything a transaction. Uh, I'll tell you something I learned. I, I was in high school. I was in charge of something called the March of Dimes Bread Drive. So we're supposed to raise money for uh, the March of Dimes charity. And the bakery gave us all a loaf of bread. So what you're supposed to do is you give the bread to the people and then ask them if they want to make a donation. Then if they make a donation, you'll give them the bread. 
my team, we were in the poorest neighborhood in town and we came in first place. Why? I said, don't do that. You give people the bread. Then you say, look, you're going to throw away the bread anyway. You give them the bread and you say, look, here's some bread. The nice bakery gave us. And if you want to make a donation, please do. And if not, it's fine. Keep the bread. Well, you know, what did I learn? Give away the bread. Give away the bread. All my material, I give it all away. You can copy, share, download, duplicate. Give it all away. doesn't hurt me any. Right. Also, it saves a lot of time. I don't have to worry about collecting money and billing people and some typo or anything. It's all free anyway, right? Do it anything you want to. Right, and people are, are grateful, and they're, they're going to say Marshall Goldsmith. Yeah, they're very nice. And I get thank you letters every day from somebody that says, you know, thank you, my life is a little better. Well, what's that worth? You can't buy that. And I, I, I just want to say, because it, it, it touched me and, and it's, um, it feels really important, this idea of, um, you know, some people are going to cheat you, but take little risks. And yeah. that's going to happen, but it's not going to happen all the time. It, I, I, uh, Maria Konnikova was on this. She's a New Yorker writer and she was on this podcast and she'd written a book called The Confidence Game about con artists. Yeah. And, and I asked her the question, have you ever been conned? Right? And she said... You know, first of all, I wouldn't know because a good con artist, you never know in the end that you've been conned. Right. And second of all, I don't want to be the kind of person who can never be conned. Like right. I don't want to live my life in such a way that I'm suspecting everything and that no one right. will ever get something past me. Because and, and that's I hear you saying the same thing. It's like take the risk. Every once in a while you're going to be conned and someone's going to take advantage. But on the whole – your life is going to be a lot better. You're going to have better relationships. You're going to take more risk. You're going to be able to do more things. Exactly. Yeah. Right. It's great advice. And and finally, I want to talk about legacy, right? In terms of creating meaning and achievement, and and you know, you, you know, maybe you could speak a little bit about what you're doing around your legacy in the MG100, which is um, such a uh, you know such a great legacy move that um, impacts so many people in positive ways, myself included. Well, I'll give you the history of it. I mean, I went to a program uh, that was put on by Aisha Brussel. Aisha is one of the world's experts in design. She's a wonderful woman. And, and as part of the program, she said, who are your heroes? So my heroes were people like Alan Mulally and Francis Hesselbein and Peter Drucker and Warren Bennis. And they were so nice to me and they were great teachers and they never charged me any money. So she said, well, why don't you be more like them? So I thought... Gee, that's a great idea. I should be more like them. I decided I'm going to adopt 15 people, teach them everything I know for free, and all that when they get old, they do the same thing. That's payback, pay it forward, right? So I made a little selfie video and put it on LinkedIn. It turned out it was the most widely viewed video in the history of LinkedIn. I've had now probably 14,000 applicants for the positions, and um, yeah, it's been wonderful. And the idea is just give things away to people and be friends and help people any way you can. And the payback is terrific because, you know, you help other people, they help you and everybody's got a positive relationship. And the other thing is it's, it's like Bill Gates did, which I think is wonderful with money. He's giving his money away. Well, in a way, this is nice because if I give you money, I don't have the money anymore. If I give you knowledge, I still have the knowledge. And you have the knowledge too. And then you can give it to other people. So the idea of the project is not for the people and the 100 coaches to be small versions of me. The idea, though, is 
for them to be to, for me to be to them like Peter Drucker was to me. I'm not Peter Drucker. He gave me a lot of stuff though, and I used what he gave me all the time. So if I give you something that you can use, the other thing back to the term legacy is, you know, we're all going to die sometime. And, you know, some sooner rather than later. Well, what do you want to leave? Well, every time I talk about what Peter Drucker did for me, Peter Drucker is alive. So I'm giving him that gift of uh, after he's dead, his ideas are still alive. So to me, that's what's nice about this project is creating an environment where after I'm gone, the ideas are still alive. But then after you're gone, your ideas are still alive and other people as well. It's beautiful. And, and, it's, and what I'm hearing you ask also is this question. I want to go back to the question that you mentioned here you know, on the podcast, which is, you know, am I willing at this time to make the investment required to make a positive impact, a positive difference on this topic? And, and the idea of like, it's a question to ask not only about where you're spending your time, but how you're living your life. Like, am I living my life in a way that it matters to me? And I think so many of us can often get caught up in whatever achievements we're trying to achieve that we forget to ask that question. And so we end up, you know, accumulating things that don't necessarily give us the meaning in our life that achievement is supposed to give us. And you're, you're not talking about not achieving. And if you think about the subtitle of this book, Creating Meaning and Achievement in Your Career and Life, but you're saying that your achievement should be in line with your meaning so that you not only reap the sort of material benefits and rewards of it, but you're also very much, you know, reaping the, the character award, rewards of it. And that's really beautiful. Well, you know, I mean, I've done pro- five programs in my house with retiring CEOs. And the topic is, what are you going to do next? Well, the first thing you need to realize, they can't just play crappy golf with old men at the country club and eat chicken salad sandwiches while discussing gallbladder surgery all day. That just doesn't work. And a lot of them get depressed. They drive their wives and kids crazy. You know, they just go off the deep end. What I tell them is you have to do two things. You have to find happiness and meaning. Happiness, what I mean by that is you have to love the process of what you're doing. I'm looking forward to getting up in the morning. I enjoy doing this. I like the process of it. Meaning is the end results of what I'm doing matter to me. Now, no one can find happiness for you but you, and no one can find meaning for you but you. Our research, which I've done with my daughter Kelly, Kelly's a professor at Vanderbilt, and our research on this is very clear. You need to achieve simultaneous happiness and meaning in life. You have to have both. Because if you have meaning without happiness, you're a victim or a martyr. It's, you're doing important things, but you're, you're not. You have a miserable life. On the other hand, if you try to amuse yourself and do things to make you happy that are meaningless, you, you experience emptiness. Neither one of those is good. I mean, after the ninth cruise, the cruise director jokes are no longer funny. Again, how many, how many rounds of golf can you play before it's just boring? You know, and then, and then all of a sudden, it's, there's nothing there. So you need to do both. Does this make me happy and is this meaningful to me? And if the answer is yes and yes, you won. Basically what matters in life, if you take care of your health, you have a middle class or upper middle class or above income, you um, have great relationships with people you love, only thing that matters is happiness and meaning. And if you say, yeah, this, my life, most of my life has been doing things that make me happy and, and are meaningful to me, you won. That's about all there is. Marshall, That's how, about it. how old are you now? 68. And how long do you hope to be doing all of this for? How old, I mean, how, how, at what age are you planning to? Oh, I know my retirement date. Exactly. Dead. Yeah, that's Dead. great. That's great. You yeah. know, I, I went into this work partially with 
that idea in mind and as, as I was strategizing where I want to spend my you know, life energy. Um, it, right. it, the, the most vibrant, interesting, engaged people, the people I enjoyed the most were people who were much older and had never retired and had never had any intention of, of, of retiring. And, and they're just sort of engaged in life and, and young and, yeah. and feel. And, uh, and so I sort of was asking myself the question, what can I do that I wouldn't have to stop doing because, uh, right. because I got too old? Yeah, it's a real blessing. Being able to do something where you don't have to stop and you can keep doing it. And also, what's a real blessing about what we do is you can do it for free. You don't have to charge money. And so if you want to help a nonprofit, when I work for a nonprofit, it's exactly the same as I work for a for-profit. What I do is the same. I just don't charge you money. And the work is equally fun. Marshall Goldsmith is with us. His latest book, along with Alan Weiss, is Life Storming, Creating Meaning and Achievement in Your Career and Life. Uh, Marshall, I'm honored to know you. It's a great pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Thank you so much for inviting me, and thank you for being one of our 100 coaches. Oh, it's my great pleasure, believe me. Thanks. If you enjoyed this episode of the Bregman Leadership Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Bregman Leadership Intensive, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit peterbregman.com. Thank you to Claire Marshall for producing this episode and to Brian Wood who created our music. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next great conversation.